Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm standing in front of Andy Warhol's Campbell's Soup Cans, and it's a series of, it's eight by four, so there's eight of the same, they're not the same now that I'm looking. They're all different types of soup, um, which I'm so relieved by. I gotta say, I walked in here and I actually thought that they were just prints. Are they? Let me walk over to the thing. More than 50 years ago, in 1962, Andy Warhol debuted Campbell's Soup Cans in his first solo exhibition at the Ferris Gallery in Los Angeles. Each of the painting's 32 canvases rested on shelves mounted on the wall like groceries in a store. They're images that almost everyone recognizes. When I was young, I was living in Antilles, in Aruba, and we ate Campbell's soup in that time, in the 50s. I wouldn't thought ever that that would be multi-million piece of art in MoMA in New York, but there it is. Marketing is different. It's another kind. Since a lot of people said that it's art, most of people think that it is art, but it's not. I'm Abby Jacobson, and this is A Piece of Work. This episode is all about how artists took pop culture and put it up on a pedestal to celebrate, but also to critique. Pop art is some of the most popular art out there. So popular that it makes a lot of people question whether it's still art or ever was. The line between art and stuff is fascinating to me. Like, where is that line? This is the kind of idea that also intrigues my friend Tavi Gevinson. I'm a writer and actress, and I'm the editor of Rookie. And uh, I'm into art. Tavi is 21, but she started her career as a fashion blogger when she was only 14. And she kind of took the fashion world and the internet by storm. Even as a kid, she was an impresario, kind of like Warhol. You, to me, are so accessible hmm. and approachable. Oh, thank you. I've always You're wanted welcome. to be prestigious and everyone's best friend. <laughs> well, you've done it. This is her first time seeing Warhol's Campbell's soup cans in person. The first time I saw it was probably, like, on my friend's aunt's tote bag. Oh, yeah. Like, after she, like, went on a trip to New York. Like One of the most popular images in, like, pop art, right? Yeah. Like. But it's very hard to process that this is the thing because I've seen it so many times Do you want to get closer? We're removed. so far away. Yeah. Are you an Andy Warhol fan in general? Yeah, I am. I have a couple friends who are, like, older than me, have lived in New York for decades and decades, and have wildly different opinions about Same. people I idolize. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to someone that was way older, and they, yeah. like, cannot stand him. Yeah. But it might be actually from, like, a personal level and right. not, like, if you detach the artist, can it exist on its own? But right. you have a bunch of people that feel that way about him in particular? Well, yeah, or they're, like, Andy Warhol or Madonna or Patti Smith or, like, anyone I would associate with, like, I became familiar with them when I was a kid and I, it, like, made me want to move to New York and whatever, and they're like, oh, he's a publicist. They feel I, really, um... That was kind of more the like kind of social aspect of everything we're talking about. But I mean, he is the first art star. Yeah, I could only imagine what would have been if Andy Warhol had social media. 
Yeah. You know, like, I think people don't like the fact that it was like he was all about fame. I think for for Warhol, that's really a thing. And, you know, he loved the idea of, I mean, 15 minutes of fame. He loved the idea that everyone had within them kind of the potential to be a... a, Yeah. Now it's come true. Good job, Andy. Way to foresee the future. Yeah. This is Sarah Suzuki. I'm a curator here of drawings and prints. I've been here uh, for many years, almost... It's coming up on 20 years. That makes me sound really old. But, um, You're not really old. You so, started so... You, you I did. I did start school, very right? young. Yeah. Basically, they had me in as like an intern in like between cool. sixth grade and seventh grade. She says pop art, especially when it comes to Andy Warhol, is about more than just the work itself. He was someone who was also really complicit with mass media. Like, he was a willing participant. So he wasn't I feel like, like, please mass, don't interview no, me. Like he was like, bring the, it on. It all feels connected in terms of mass producing this content is reflective of wanting to be known and out there and in my work to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. So how's this for a parallel? Warhol actually started off as a commercial illustrator and then went on to make his own TV show. Guys, do you get what I'm saying? Anyways, in the 1960s, Warhol was everywhere. He was all over the media, and his loft was the meeting space for artists at the time. Bowie and Grace Jones and Nico and Basquiat were all regulars. He called it the factory. I mean, even if you're not an art person, even if you've never been in a museum in your life, you know who Andy Warhol is. People loved him, and people loved to hate him. But isn't that the risk when something becomes popular? I don't know, but I I think that other artists at the time were like, they, he's all about being a famous artist, and right. my art is about my it's art. it's like, no, you probably wanted to be famous too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so I feel like it all has to be wrapped up in that. I know. That was kind we're of getting how the I, recognition, you know? Right. I mean, I've kind of felt that way when I was like, like my entry into this weird adult world was like going to fashion week and then it became more like I was around people who were more in like publishing or even activism and I remember being like you know what at least fashion people are at least all of the like superficialness of it is out in the open as opposed to like you know writers want recognition oh yeah fashion's not hiding yeah what it wants (laughs) no but I remember feeling like at least there was something honest about that where like and I don't actually think there's anything wrong with wanting recognition for your work depending on how you grow up or your background or just where culture's at at the time it can seem like a really unsavory thing and I guess maybe that's just what Andy Warhol was seizing on that like it's everywhere yeah especially now especially now My work and career began on the internet. Alana and I started Broad City as a web series, Broad City, on YouTube. And the way we got the word out about this new thing we were doing was posting it on all social media platforms and sharing it and trying to get our friends to share it and get it seen and heard and viewed by strangers. And now it feels like that's such a part of the job, that the marketing of everything is on social media. But at the same time, social media is such a personal thing. 
It's how I show people what I'm interested in and what I care about and cool things I see on the street and what I think that people should be seeing and talking about too. And then I also get very nervous about it. Am I sharing too much of myself? Like, wait, hold on. Is this exactly what I want to say? And am I showing too much of myself? Am I showing too little of myself? Should I be sharing my nieces on social media? They're on the podcast. Why did I do that? What is happening? It gives me a lot of anxiety. But my handle is at Abby Jacobson. Just like click it and check me out. It's on one hand a way of just sharing stuff you think is cool and connecting with people, but it's also, I mean, naturally, especially with certain jobs, like a tool for self-promotion. Totally. And so that aspect of looking at it can be irritating, but like I have a (laughs) private Instagram where I really just follow like illustrators and artists and then looking at it is like really soothing. It's all about your filter, you know? Know what I'm saying? I get it, following that soothing stream. Yeah, as opposed to like, how can I um, annoy myself today? Like, yeah. <laughs> or however it can sometimes function. What do you think Andy Warhol's intention I was? I know, good call, <laughs> bringing it back. So, many pop artists in the 1960s used commercial images and bright colors in their work. And Warhol was all about mass-produced things, from Coca-Cola to celebrities to the soup cans. In fact, he kept making soup cans throughout his whole life, in different colors, blown up huge and deconstructed. And he was sort of infamous for silk screening them. Literally the same basic image repeated over and over and over again. But the 32 soup cans in the museum are handmade original paintings. So I asked the curator, Sarah. Was this a print and then he hand did each variety? That's what I would have done. (laughs) Fascinating question, excellent question. Because in many ways they do seem to be like almost identical up to a certain point. Each of them is a different variety of soup. And Warhol did get from yeah. Campbell's at the time the list of soup varieties that they produced. And he went through the list and he checked each one off as he made it. Now, Warhol, like a little later on, becomes quite synonymous with screen print. And Warhol is someone who takes up screen print and he uses it not just to make additions, which he goes gangbusters on that, but he also used the screen print as a tool to make his paintings, like unique, right, like unique the, works. Right. It's just the... It's almost like if someone was using like a stencil. Exactly yeah. right. And so here's the interesting thing. These kind of look like screen prints. And in They're fact, not. it would have been a perfect screen print. It, it, it would have been a perfect... <laughs> he came to that later. It's before he these, gets these are all to originals to look... I mean, yes. they're all supposed to So they're to all like, done yeah. by hand. He kind of developed his own little stencil to make them. I think if it had been a couple of years later, maybe he would have used screen print. Well, maybe he was like, well, God, I painted... <laughs> Spent so, so much many. time. You gotta figure out making a way all these paintings. Yeah, yeah. And but really, one of the interesting things about the way he uses it is, as we were just saying, he uses it to make additions where things are supposed to be standardized, and then he uses it also just to make one-off singular paintings. Right. Okay. I have a question that's like more selfish. Me wanting to okay, know. Okay. Very good. So now knowing these are original, I personally feel the way he draws his typography and the Mm -hmm. fonts and everything, I feel like my illustration is so influenced by this because Uh it's, like, not perfection. It's, like, seeing the, like, the type is, like, off a little. And if Uh you see his, like... Gaps in the line. Mm -hmm. I'm an illustrator, and I feel like that somehow is, like, 
a different hierarchy of the art world, but it's complicated yeah. where it's like, is it scale? Right. Is it material? Because illustrators can use paints. Like now the artwork I happen to do since I moved to New York has been like on my desk because I don't have a space. That's where you have the room. So it feels like, oh no, now I'm a, an illustrator and that's somehow a different thing than being an artist. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you, th- I mean, that might well, also be my insecurity. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I do, there's I do. There's this like weird, and it might be me sensing it, but it's just like this yeah. weird like, well, this is like actual art and this is like for magazines yeah. or something. Well, I think you're hitting a really interesting point here, Abby. Well, because, well done. <laughs> because part of what happened when pop, when an artist like Warhol kind of right, comes into art. the public consciousness, the thing we're talking about, <laughs> when he comes into the public consciousness, there's kind of a fair amount of suspicion on the part of certain critics, collectors, art absorbing public, because it is a return to the image in some ways. Right. When if you go in a kind of linear fashion. What had preceded it was abstraction. Right. And there is this kind of intellectual headiness, this kind of emotive power, lone genius in the studio idea that often accompanies abstract expressionist painting in New York. Right. And then all of a sudden you're at something like, oh, common object, everyday object. Like, does this carry the same weight as that genius abstract painting does? Dare I say, the difference between drama and comedy. Drama and comedy. Okay, it is. there you it go. Is. Like yeah. a, an abstract painting is very much like a dramatic movie, mm-hmm. and pop art can it is very much like a like mm-hmm. it feels more like approachable. Yeah, it speaks to I think part of its goal in many instances is to speak to a lot of people right. to give that sense of accessibility. In a way, Warhol did all the things. He continued painting, and he turned painting on its head. And he made prints and films and threw crazy parties and became an icon. I think a lot of the ideas of pop persist. And they persist in different kinds of ways. I think certainly culture in some ways has become more inclusive. Yeah. Like Instagram has made me a really fantastic photographer. Like I take the best (laughs) pictures. (laughs) Yeah. I'm totally kidding. But you you know what I mean. Like we have access in a different way to certain technologies that were kind of not available to us before. So, um, yeah, we live in interesting times. Yes, we do. Coming up, pop art goes global. This is a piece of work. To me, pop art feels so quintessentially American, and Andy Warhol is about as American as the Big Mac. But Sarah said pop wasn't just an American movement, and to show me, she took me upstairs to the Drawings and Prints Study Center. This is kind of like the nerve center of this curatorial department. Um, We have a very large collection, like probably about 85,000 works on paper, and almost 80% of it is stored on site. Do you usually have to wear, like, gloves in here? Generally, we don't do gloves. The policy we use generally is clean hands. Very often, gloves don't actually fit. So you have, like, these extra fingertip bits. And, like, what's the point of that? And our staff does most of the handling. 
And it's weird. She made me remove my pants as well in here. You know one's allowed to wear <laughs> pants in those rooms. Well, we don't know what you could put yeah. into those I'm pockets. Kidding. I mean... Yeah. It's actually a very open room with windows everywhere. It's like half library, half fish tank it is kind of like how I think tank. about yeah. it. Yeah. And that is, of course, so we can kind of keep eyes on what goes on in here. Wow. It's important to us to hold on to these things. Wow. Do not um, step out of line in here. <laughs> that's right. No <laughs> pens. Right. No There's pens. no pens or gum allowed in this room. Yeah. Is it bulletproof glass? It's. I've never... I've been... Say it. It's, you should say it. I think it might be. Yeah. Mm. I think it might cool. be. This place has work by artists from all over the world, including Beatrice Gonzalez from Colombia, which is what Sarah wants to show me. She's taken out one of her most famous works, a series of red and black prints. Each sheet is about two feet by three feet. Uh, Beatrice was born in 1938, and she continues to make work to this day, so she really is kind of the grand dame. Wow. But I thought it would be interesting to look at these because um, she really, in a way, is responsible for putting a pop idiom into Colombian art practice. And it's wow. something that she starts doing in the 60s, late 1960s, and something that she continues doing to this day. I think it's also really interesting to think about how the strategies of pop move from those kind of initial centers in New York into a place like Bogota, which is where she lives and works today. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) You said a lot of important, meaningful things. I completely agree. (laughs) These are amazing. Like the one leaning against the wall is like a triptych, but not. Exactly right. So three pieces of paper horizontally in a row that mm-hmm. that go together but then do they not too or they they both <laughs> they both so here's the story they both. they both i'm sure whoever taught me grammar is crying um there are two different subjects here the one on the left is called the baseboard of comedy zocalo and this is the baseboard of tragedy they're both taken from newspaper pictures This one on the left is of the outgoing president. That's him with kind of the big square glasses. He was famous for those glasses, Turbay. And he was kind of bestowing some civilian honor to this guy in the middle, like putting a medal around his neck or something. The one on the table comes from a very sad tale about a um, recently returned Korean war vet who killed his wife in a murder-suicide. So you have these two images, comedy and tragedy. And in a strange way, the style in which she depicts them, it becomes kind of difficult to tell one from the other. And the way she printed those images is layered in meaning, too. She wanted to make them as posters. So she essentially commissioned, like, a lot of local poster shops, which would normally produce really inexpensive things on cheap paper for boxing matches or circuses She gave them all the template for this image and Mm. said, print me up a bunch of these. No other directions? No. Which is why some of them are red, some of them are black and red, some of them are different reds, some of them are on different papers. And then she asked them to kind of put them up around town just like posters. Wow. So not cool experiment. Totally cool experiment. There was a little bit of heat for this activity. The um, poster shop started hearing like, we would like to come and take the rest of the posters, whatever you have from the government. You know, using the image of the president, Mm, not so popular. This was an incident, again, almost 20 years old at this point, but something that people were 
not yeah, yeah. that was very upsetting. And so what she did at that point is she took what remained and she put them up in a gallery, like a white cube gallery. And it was at that point she installed them kind of like wainscoting in this big repeat. Because they, they are, if you hang them up next to each other, mm-hmm. they're continuous. Forever. Like a long freeze of just a repeating image. A room filled with images of a president and a murderer. A president and a murderer. A president and a murderer. Ballsy. Unlike a Warhol screen print edition, as we were saying, where you want them all to kind of hew to a standard, this was much more about kind of letting the image out into the world and and relinquishing control of it in a certain kind of way, which I I just love. Wow. Aren't they great? Yeah, I really love these. Gonzalez made and is still making pop art political. But even if you don't recognize the faces of the people in these images, they're still really powerful. One of the founding ideas of pop or one of the kind of attributes of pop is the use of mass media imagery. So artists are taking things from the newspaper, from billboards, from ads, um, and reworking them in the studio. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about how pop starts to spread is that while kind of American consumerism is like paramount in a lot of situations, you're not going to have the same movie stars, the same advertisements, the same, you know, car billboards in Bogota that you are in New York. So I think there's necessarily like a built-in local flavor to a lot of what happens around the world. So, I mean, when you look at pop in Tokyo, you see figures from popular culture that are familiar to anyone in Tokyo who's looking at it, but to us, we're kind of locked out. Yeah. And I think there are a million ways to approach something. I mean, just going back to the soup cans, um, Warhol talked a lot about the soup cans, and he once said to someone like, oh, my mom served me soup every day for 20 years growing up, and so I have real nostalgia when I see these images. And to someone else, he said, like, don't worry about what I think about the soup cans. What should matter is what you think about when you see them. And I... Think about grilled cheese, the art of the duck. That was a piece of work. Special thanks to Sarah Suzuki and Tavi Gevinson. The show is a co-production of WNYC Studios and MoMA. And I'm still Abby Jacobson. (laughs) I think... I'm not sure. I think I am. Uh.